Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme told live at the adults-only Visual Arts Collective in Garden City, Idaho. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we encounter the Story Story stoplight and put the pedal to the metal for the theme Green Light on August 28, 2018. During the slam, we randomly drew names from a race car, and they played in traffic with a five-minute story. It's go time. It's story time. Daniel. Daniel. Uh, My name's Daniel, and last week I turned 47 years years of age. Thank you. Um, and I've recently reinvented myself. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I've reinvented myself at age 47. Um, it's been quite a ride. I, uh, I grew up in a very strict religious household and um, struggled with coming out of, you know, everything that I thought was real and leaving my faith behind. And uh, that was just, you know, the first little event that happened in this rediscovery process. And, uh, you know, some people call it a midlife crisis. I, I, I think that's really, though, I mean, I, I think that's uh, a pejorative, okay, for reinventing oneself at age 40 and beyond. Um, <laughs> so... Here I am, age 47, reinventing myself, going through this midlife crisis, and um, this applies to green. Green means go, um, but this could also apply to uh, the red means stop. Uh, it also could apply to the, uh, the themed story, story night of burning, the fire. That, that was pretty recently, wasn't it? Um, so, unlike my date tonight, I shall uh, not reveal the names of the innocent. Um, that's the plan. We'll see how it goes. So, part of this reinventing oneself at age 47 uh, includes being a parent to a teenager. Uh, I've got four children, 15, 13, 11, and wait for it. Four. Yes. He's been almost five for almost a year now. So <laughs> his birthday's in October, and the day he turns five, in my eyes, he'll be almost six. So uh, it really makes me feel better. Um, <laughs> um, where was I again? <laughs> so, yeah, being a parent of teenagers. Um, my eldest, you know, she's. She's really, uh, she's, she's a sophomore in high school this year. And, um, you know, I have a child that's really solid academically. And this isn't her. Um, <laughs> in fact, quite the opposite. She's, she's really uh, challenged when it comes to, you know, getting good grades and turning in assignments. Well, 
Um, you know, part of this whole rediscovery of oneself at age 40 includes um, sometimes uh, deciding that, you know, uh, your marriage of 20 years just wasn't working anymore. So, um, so I left and uh, not being home with the kids uh, was maybe one real strong reason why I didn't uh, leave sooner. And, um, you know, having a teenage daughter who struggles academically, uh, I did my best to help her with homework via, you know, FaceTime and um, lots of late night phone calls. And so, you know, she's struggled academically, and, but she really excels in the arts. Uh, she's, uh, she's in her, her high school marching band and the high school jazz band. And she's, you know, done that for, you know, four or five years already. And she's ex she excels in it. And I tell you what, this little girl has a creative mind and um, could do very well in, in the arts, in any field she chose. And here I am trying to squeeze her into this academic box. Well, she also had, she's also had some run-ins with, you know, the authorities, you know, if you will. Uh, it, it, it starts with the principal, I feel like. Um, I mean, once, once you've gone past the teacher, but I mean, <laughs> whose teacher doesn't call mom and dad, let's be real. Um, so once, you know, the principal calls, uh, you're kind of on a first name basis with the counselor. Uh, the uh, resource officer as well. And um, she got caught with, um, you know, she got caught with some marijuana. She was 14. And yeah, wow, what do you do? <laughs> Where's the handbook for this? Like, uh, didn't read that chapter. Five minutes, okay, so here's the deal, okay. <laughs> Here's the deal, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me make a long story really short, okay. Um, I confiscated the weed and the pipe. And the pipe eventually made it back to its rightful owner. But uh, um, <laughs> the weed was uh, disposed of, let's just say. And anyway, my point is, uh, <laughs> Something about green, no. Um, <laughs> you, look, I gotta go, but. <laughs> I have a message to tell, okay? Midlife crisis is, is not a pejorative, okay? Or it is a pejorative. It's a pejorative for reinventing oneself. Okay, reinventing oneself is not a euphemism for midlife crisis. Just remember that. Go live your truth, find it. Live it, be authentic. Thank you. Chris Con Condon. You must have missed last month because I was homeschooled. No one called me that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys remember you from last month as a feature storyteller. Hey, guys. 
Uh, this story's not going to have closure either, so be prepared for that. And as 99% of my great stories go, I was online dating and met someone. She lived about two blocks away, which was great for winter, although this was summer. I walked down to her house and I picked her up and we started going downtown. I'm going to try to make this quick. As we were walking downtown, I saw this squirrel napping in the grass, as I used to tell my stepdaughter all the time when an animal was dead. It was a normal experience for me, but it was obviously not for her. And after the story, you'll realize why I named her Squirrel Girl. So she wanted me to pick it up and put it somewhere, and I declined politely. And we made our way downtown. We ended up at a coffee shop doing the first date thing, talking about life and all that kind of stuff. And after about an hour or so, we walked outside where she kind of pushed us back into an alley because she saw her ex-boyfriend drive by in his BMW, which I thought was a little bit weird, but more weird when he circled around and, and came again. And we had to go down an alley that only had two ways out to get away from this guy that was following us. Uh, I wasn't murdered, neither was she. I'm still here. We ended up in a bar, and we sat there and talked, and we drank for a while. And at one point, I was taking a sip of my drink. I think it was the bee's knees at that point. And she looks at me, and she says, I really want you to know what it's like to uh, redacted, uh, in my redacted, tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Two arrows in. Classy. Uh, I introduced her to mom right there. I called her up. FaceTime. So, check please. We're leaving, right? I'm kidding. We're not leaving. I was very uncomfortable. And we sat there and talked for a while longer. She got up and she went to the bathroom and when she came out, she had asked the bar attendant if there was a to-go box and we did not get any food. <laughs> and this was kind of weird to me. But as the theme of the night, <laughs> I'm always green lights. Like we're just, we're just going. So... We have a to-go box and styrofoam, and we leave, and she says that we have to go get the squirrel. <laughs> I, I, tried, I tried to go a different route home. I was like, if we just go this way and we don't see the squirrel, then we don't have to pick it up. But... We didn't go a different way home. She forced me to walk the same way home where we saw the squirrel still sleeping. That was a tired fucking squirrel. <laughs> and it had a big meal because it was already bloated. I mean, it wasn't in the street or anything. It was on the grass. It looked so peaceful. So we took the, the, the to-go box and she pulled some leaves off of the tree and some sticks and there was this whole kind of put the box down, take some leave to make a bed, to make a bed for the squirrel, and take these sticks and 
try to try to like yeah like chopsticks dead squirrel kung pao chicken into this box and we got it we got it it didn't fall apart or anything it didn't like split in two that would have been really weird uh and we we got it into the the styrofoam box and i was carrying it back to my place and she, she's like, this is very sweet. Most guys would have ducked out by now. And I'm like, there's a plan here. You dangle the carrot. And I'm a dirty rabbit. So we are walking back to my place. And she asks me, where are we going to bury this thing at? I'm like, I'm not going fucking anywhere else with you. We're going to my place because that's where I feel safe and that's where I feel I won't be murdered or her boyfriend. Oh, man, her boyfriend could have followed us to my place. That would have been bad. So we, look at that, years later, and I now realize the dangers of my actions. So we get back to my place and she asks me if I have like a big spoon or something to dig a hole in my side yard. And if you remember from last time, I live in a basement apartment. So the, the window next to my bed is like one of those escape windows that um, is under, I'm underground, which would mean if I buried the squirrel my head would be parallel to this dead squirrel. Which it is, because I buried it. I did not have a big spoon, but I did have a metal folding motorcycle ramp that I pulled out of my garage. And I'd like to remember that it was raining, uh, but it wasn't. So, anyways, that's my cue, right? So, I started digging a hole, right? And we put this... I was going to put the squirrel in it, and she said, no, we've got to, you know, give it some peace and say a prayer and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up burying the squirrel in the yard, covering it up. My next-door neighbor started talking to her, like, hey, how are you? What are your name? And she's like, your neighbor's fucking weird. As I'm burying a squirrel for her in my side yard. And since I'm finishing up right now, uh, you don't get to hear the rest of the story of whether or not I got the carrot. So, squirrels in my side yard right next to my bed. I sleep next to it every night. Thank you. Johnny. Oh, your friends are excited. We're excited too. Hello. I really wasn't prepared for this, but uh, I've told the story a few times, so I thought I'd try it here, I guess. How many people are from the Midwest? Anybody here? Anybody know Boys Town? Anybody? Boys Town, worst kids in America go there, right? The movie Boys Town, sure. Well, I grew up in Omaha, which is 10 miles from Boys Town. When I was a little kid, I had eight brothers and sisters. How many big families? Big families. Catholic families, too. God-fearing families. 
So I go to, when I was about 10 years old, by the way, there's no, there's no threesome in this story, so <laughs> if you have to get a beer, go get a beer, I guess. Um, but when I was about 10 years old, one of the things, when you got eight kids, you know, your mom kind of walks on the crazy side a part of the time, and the other part of the time, she's normal, right? <clears throat> so I got in a lot of trouble, tons of trouble. When I was a kid, I used to wrestle baseball, swimming, basketball. I did it all. But this is a wrestling story. So I'm a wrestler. I got in trouble. Growing up, my mom used to tell me all the time, instead of, you know, today they always say, go put your kid in a timeout. Could take 10 minutes to go sit over there. My mom said, go pack your bags. <laughs> Get out on the front porch. And as I'm packing, you know, I'm walking up the stairs. Packing my bag, I got tears in my eyes. Thinking, holy crap, she's gonna send me to Boys Town. These, are the, these guys are killers. They're the worst kids in America. <laughs> Pack my bag, go sit on the front porch. I can hear her talking. Yep, come get Johnny. I've had it. Take him. And I'm thinking, well, she's got seven other kids. You know, she's one's gone. It's probably a little less stress on her. That'll be okay. <laughs> so, lo and behold, Boys Town never came. It always was, <clears throat> yeah, they are too busy today. They'll come back tomorrow, but I'm going to give you one more chance. Don't piss me off. <laughs> so I, you know, of course I was the good little Johnny. And uh, one day I had to go to wrestle at Boys Town. I hadn't lost very many matches, maybe one or two. I go to Boys Town. We're driving out there. Big, beautiful place. Scariest son of a bitches I've ever seen in my life are out there, right? Killers. Get in the gym, sitting across a mat from the, everybody I got to wrestle on the other side, or the one kid. You know, at 10 or 11, I was about 70 pounds. All the team from Boys Town, they're black. There's not a black kid in my neighborhood. There's not a black kid in the high school I went to. I'm scared shitless. I'm thinking this kid's a killer from New York, the Bronx. Skinny, tall kid, big old afro. I get out there to wrestle. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to take you down. But my fear of Boys Town scared the shit out of me. I pretty much laid over. Big old black dude jumps on me, pins me in about three seconds. And I'm thinking, I just want to get the hell out of here. One of my friends here tonight was saying, you know what he was thinking? That big old fat white kid's gonna crush me. <laughs> That's my story. Danielle S. Lady with the red ticket. All right. I would just like to state for the record that I'm just here for the dildos. So, so here's my green light story. Um, once upon a time I was married, uh, I thought very happily, and it turns out that was not the case. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, um, I got served with divorce papers. So 
<laughs> I moved out of my house, um, went through a divorce, and during that time also found out that uh, having children was not in my future, which was something that was very heartbreaking to me. So <laughs> I um, am talking to a friend one night at a bar, having divorced the love of my life, I thought, uh, having found out that I can't have children, this is the only thing I wanted since I was five. I've named all of my children, by the way. There's four, two boys and a girl. So we're sitting at a bar one night, getting drunk like you do. And uh, she says to me, well, I'm going through a divorce and uh, I'm going to Thailand. Maybe you should come with me. I don't have a passport. The only time I've been out of the country was Tijuana. I was 19, you could drink, you didn't need a passport to go to Tijuana when you were 19. So, I'm sitting at the bar, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't have a passport, um, but I am going through this divorce. Idaho is a 50-50 state, in case you're unaware, uh, which means that not only do I get half of the house that he's definitely not keeping by himself, um, I also get half of his retirement fund, which is fantastic for me, considering that I've cashed out all of my retirement to support us uh, during the time he was working at a minimum wage job and I was making a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. So I've cashed out all of my retirement fund. I have nothing, guys, nothing. I don't have a house. I don't have, a, I don't have children. I don't have a retirement fund. I'm working as a waitress. Uh, and so I think to myself at this bar one night, I cannot think of a reason to tell you no. I don't, I don't have a reason to say no. So that summer, we spend a lot of time in bars planning our trip. We're planning on going for six months. We get our passport, we get our round trip plane tickets to Hong Kong. Uh, we get to Hong Kong, we travel to Thailand, and a month into our trip, this friend of mine says, uh, I think I'm going home. <laughs> I'm running out of money. I'm not really happy here. I have sprained my ankle and almost gotten malaria twice, because it's Asia. <laughs> and so I'm going home. We're in a hostel in Hanoi, Vietnam. Guys, I don't speak Vietnamese. Uh, I've literally never been out of the United States before. And we're in a hostel in Hanoi, Vietnam, and she's telling me she's leaving me, basically. It's gonna cost her $750 to change her round-trip plane ticket. Do you know what $750 will buy you in Southeast Asia? <laughs> a lot. A lot of food, a ton of hotel rooms, a lot of fun. So I say, I'm going to stay. I'm here. Uh, this is probably the only time in my life I'm going to do something this crazy. Uh, so I'm not coming home with you. So we arrive in Hong Kong in September. She leaves me in Hanoi, Vietnam in the middle of October. And I spend the next four and a half months on my own in Southeast Asia. And it was the most amazing experience of my life. And I made a million wonderful friends who I'm still friends with two and a half years, three years later. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life. 
So the moral of the story is, if you can't think of a reason to say no, say yes. Devana Humpalat. So about a year ago, um, I went back to Seattle to go visit an old friend. Um, and he creates board games. So when he picked me up from the airport, uh, he said, hey, we're going to go to a nerdy party after this. And I swear to fucking God, he said nerdy party. <laughs> well, well. Anyway, so we get in the car. And we drive, and, and we go to this bar, and uh, you know I'm like, cool, fantastic, I'm gonna go talk to people, and he's like, you're gonna wingman for me, and I'm like, I got you, bro, right? So I'm going, and I'm talking to people, and I'm looking out for girls for him, and like talking to all these people. Well, well, after, after about an hour, I'm talking to all these people, you know, and some of them are in furry costumes, and some of them are in diapers, and I'm just kind of rolling with it, because I'm like, you know, I've seen a lot, like, whatever. And then after about an hour, I'm like, oh, this is not a nerdy party, motherfucker. <laughs> so I go over to him, right, and I grab him by the shirt, and I'm like, motherfucker, what did you just take me to? <laughs> and he's like, I, we're going to a kink party, Kate. And I'm like, oh, no, fucking no, we're not. Well, we've already been there for an hour, and I'm talking to these people, and you know, the bar's closing down, and they're saying, we are having an after party, right? And I've now made friends with all these people. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, and I'm talking to him about this, and he's like, look, let's just go. If it makes you uncomfortable, we'll leave, right? And I'm like, I, I don't know about this. Like, I'm really not super comfortable with this. I went to Catholic school. This is a lot. <laughs> But green light, right? This is a green light. And I'm like, you know, everyone likes me here and they've, they've invited me. They've answered all of my fucking dumb questions about like diaper sex and all this other shit. <laughs> and I'm like, look, these people are being open and honest with me. Sure, let's go. So, <laughs> right, yeah, right. So, so we go to this after party, um, and first of all, I have, to, I have to say that I was actually raped by my stepbrother for about eight years. So this is pretty big, and this is really scary, but I'm with my best friend, who I know is going to make sure that I'm safe, and that I'm okay and enjoying myself. So we get to the party, and the first thing that happens before anything happens is that they sit down and they have a meeting, and they say, look, here are the fucking rules of the party, you ask for fucking consent. If someone does not fucking consent, you get kicked out and we call the fucking police. And I was like, okay, cool, right? Like, right? And then there were some other ground rules that I can't really remember, but it was like a lot of stuff, you know, about being safe and comfortable. And then I watched, and I just stood at the back, right? And I just watched this party get started. Um, and people are going at it, right? In the middle of the living room. And everyone is asking for consent. Everyone is having, and they are, fully enjoying themselves, right? <laughs> People are having a great time, and I'm just watching. And, um, you know, my, my mind is blown. Like, I'm like, I'm seeing exhibitionists and pegging and diaper sex and, like, dominatrix and all of it. And it's amazing. And finally, I get comfortable. And uh, I, uh, I go up to my best friend, and I'm like, I'm really glad we came. This is amazing, and I'm so glad that you brought me here. I feel completely safe. And that's amazing, because I did not expect that. Um, and then I'm talking to him, and I'm like enjoying myself, and I see this 
beautiful blonde woman from across the room. Yeah. And uh, so my best friend is like, you need to go up and talk to her. So I go up and I talk to her. And, um, and then he tells me, he goes up to her and he's like, look, my friend is super into you. And she's like, that's fantastic. And, and I'm like, can I go down on you? Which is not something I've ever fucking asked anyone in my entire life. <laughs> and she says, yes. And then she says, but before, you can, before we can do this, we need to ask my partners. And she has like multiple partners. And I'm like, I've never been in this situation before. Okay. <laughs> And she says yes, and uh, needless to say, we have a great time. Um, and it was the greatest night of my entire fucking life. <laughs> Pretty much like that, with, but with four people. And, uh, and after that, you know, my buddy, my buddy and I left. He had some fun with some other people in another room. And, um, and we walked out of there, and I never expected that situation to happen. And I never expected um, to feel so empowered by sex, especially in a sex club, as a Catholic schoolgirl. Did not expect it. And so, you know, if you're ever in that situation, fucking green light, go with it. Because fuck yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party. Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Marnie Ellis, Nicholas Wharton, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Green Light Show sponsor, Acme Bake Shop. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessare, featuring live music from Ashley Rose. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night.